This is the year to stop overpaying for your family plan. So choose a straight talk wireless family plan. Unlimited data, talk, and text on a reliable 5G network. And you can get a new line starting at $25 per line per month for four lines, plus taxes and fees and no contracts. That's good decision making. Available at Walmart and on straighttalk.com. Family plan discount with four lines, all on the silver unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. In times of traffic, your data may be temporarily slower than other traffic. Video streams at up to 480p. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson, you know, before they were legends of outlaw country, they were lost souls looking for their sound. Don't miss Mandy Moore and the new scripted audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the rise of outlaw country music and its biggest stars. Hear how one woman's vision in her tiny living room, far from Nashville's music row, became the epicenter of a musical movement. Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in The Boar's Nest. Listen now at audible.com slash The Boar's Nest. Hey, it's Bobby Bones. Hey, I just want to say thanks to everybody who has stepped up for the St. Jude kids. St. Jude's doing incredible work fighting childhood cancer. And because of donations, like the ones that you get, families never receive a bill ever from St. Jude for treatment, travel, housing, food, none of that. Help St. Jude stop childhood cancer. Become a partner in hope. Get this awesome new This Shirt Saves Lives shirt. It's going to look great on you. So join all the doctors, researchers, and me in this fight. All right, text the word Bobby. It's only six numbers to 785-833. Again, text the word Bobby to just these six numbers, 785-833. Episode 373, Brad and Brett Warren, the Warren brothers. I think I could have done two, maybe three hours with them. It was a lot of fun. And then I went from fun to just being... You know, super serious. We had to trust each other a little bit. We got into some areas that I think if we all weren't comfortable with ourselves, we wouldn't have been comfortable going there. Just a real good experience here with the Warren Brothers. They have nine number ones. We can roll through some pretty quickly. If you're reading this, Tim McGraw, feel that fire, Dirks Bentley. Felt good on my lips, Tim McGraw. A little bit of everything, Keith Urban. Highway don't care, Tim McGraw with Taylor and Urban. I could keep going. I mean, they have so many songs. They have many top tens. I mean, they came to town. They were trying to be artists. Some stuff happened. Now they're two of the best songwriters in Nashville. And there's a new podcast hosted by Brad. It's called The Good Grief, Good God Show, hosted by Brad, where he talks about it's grief. It's a grief podcast. When I said good grief, I thought of Charlie Brown, honestly, at first. Good grief. But it really is a grief podcast, and he talks about it. You can check out goodgriefgoodgodshow.com or find the link in the notes of this podcast and go check it out. Here we are. It's me. It's the Warren Brothers, and it's episode 373. Brad and Brett, the Warren Brothers are here. You know, uh, you guys commented on your headshot. It's up. When, what, when was that headshot taken, do you think? And it was long enough ago where I don't have any gray streaks in my hair, which are now there for sure. So I'm going to say 10 years ago. Oh, I didn't think it was that dated. No, maybe not eight? that long. Eight years ago. Seven, eight years ago. Yeah, 10 was way off. Eight. I didn't. I didn't think it was that. I think it was that dated, and Brett was like, "Well, uh, this it's quite quite a dated headshot." And I was like, oh, "You know what? It's not that bad. I'm still using them from like age 22." Oh, absolutely. You just throw them up on the billboard. It's not that far off. So I think I was thinking about getting another one. I think we should just continue to run with this. One. Well, Occas- it, gets, it gets funnier. You hit a certain point where then it's just funny and fun again. <laughs> exactly. There's that weird like yeah. middle ground of oh this is awkward because they don't look like that but then you hit a point where it's just hilarious again it's the joy of being a songwriter breaking away from the artist where you really don't care they think it's funny it's funny if they think you're trying to look younger you don't care 
Yeah, there comes a time when you want to stop getting head. Somebody occasionally will say, you need a new headshot. I'm like, why? We're not looking younger. Like, why why, why update it for something? That's what I, yeah. Why don't I update it to something who doesn't look as good? I don't yeah. look as good anymore. Not I've gotten to the point great. where I've started lying about my age in the other direction. So people are like, how old are you? And I say, 62. And they're like, no way. You look amazing. I just want the compliment. I don't care if they think I'm 62. I just need to be emotionally patted on the back, I think. I was excited you guys were coming over for a couple of reasons because you guys have been kind of in the orbit of my life forever. I mean, since I moved here. Mm -hmm. But I don't know that we've ever all sat down before. Never. I think we did something with Tim McGraw. You were interviewing him, and we were part of the interview for like five minutes about six, seven years ago. But never just us. Really early, but talk. no, never. Yeah. yeah, I don't even remember that. It was, we were in... So Who is this Tom McGraw guy you're Tom McGraw. About? This guy. Yeah. Tom we're McGraw. the Cato Kalen of the McGraw family, so <laughs> if you met us, it was with... So we're, we're in the career guest house. We have so many like parallels, though, with people, with... Yeah. I mean, Jim Beavers is a, a, a close friend of mine and is super funny and was the first guy in town because I've been writing funny stuff for my comedy act because I do stand-up, and he was like, hey, I'll write with you, and then we've just had fun and written a bunch of stuff together. And he goes, you think I'm funny? You should write with the Warren Brothers. Nobody writes funnier than Jim Beavers. Nobody. Yeah. I mean, he's... We think we're funny, but he actually writes funny. I think the only crazy funny song we've written was Red Solo Cup, who happened to be with Jim. Yeah. We wrote a few more that were like... With Jim that were yeah, funny, but... Pirate too, song, has he turned you onto that? Too edgy for... Well, mostly he was like, you guys are have the ability to be very funny and probably write very funny if you wanted to. Like, it was a, it was a huge compliment on how funny he thinks you are. And oh, that, nice. that, that space that you could easily roll into if you wanted to. That's so, really a compliment when someone that funny thinks you're funny. That's, 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 yeah, we Jimmy. do these writer's rounds with him still. And I mean, half the time we're just sitting sideways facing him crying. It just ruins, you know, it's like, have you ever, you ever seen Wynn Varble? Yes. I mean, when Wynn Varble plays the donkey song and makes the donkey sound, the writer, you could play Let It Be. They don't care anymore. The crowd's his. Do you guys only work together? Pretty 99.9% since uh, Brad bought a house in Florida and he started working on this podcast. Called... Wait, right now? You yeah. don't live here right now? No, I live here, but I just bought a house in Florida. So we spend about a third of our time in Florida. Ooh, that's significant. So it's significant. Is. This yeah. is the first time we've written probably 2,400 songs together. Wow. And about the last year, we've four written apart ago. a little bit just because, yeah. just out of geography. Is that weird? It's it was a little weird. It was a little weird. It was yeah, a little weird. I, I felt think... like I was cheating on a spouse, but like it just felt, it felt a little odd, but I don't think we're totally cool with it. I mean, we write better together. When you write that many songs together, there's a natural chemistry. It just happens. Together, we make up one real songwriter. Yeah, pretty much. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm not sure. Are you credited as publishing as one songwriter? No, though? That's no, we're not. <laughs> no, not that far. So, okay, you guys grow up where? Tampa, Florida. Yep. I've been there many times. Really? Yeah, I've played the, uh, what's the big theater down there? It's pretty new no, though now. There's a bunch of theaters. Said the, it, the Mahaffey I, Theater. There's um, it's the old Tampa Theater. but it's, then, a, it's a new, it's a newer one. It doesn't matter. It's a dumb yeah. question. It's going to get us nowhere. Right. <laughs> but, <laughs> that guy's been in radio before. <laughs> but I've spent a lot of time in Tampa. Um, usually once or twice a year. You grow up in Tampa. Was Tampa then like Tampa now where it's like there's Florida, but then Tampa is kind of a bit of an outlier as far as the kind of people that are there. Tampa was like, when we were growing up, it had a rock and roll scene. There was 98 Rock and 95 YNF, and rock and roll was still kind of big. And they had local shows, and so our band would get on local shows. And they had a ton of bars where everybody would play. It was the death metal capital of the world. Death metal music was sort of recorded at Morris Sound there by USF. 
I'll say so, this: Tampa has changed less from when we were children. I think so. Than Nashville has since we've been here twenty five years ago. Or oh, whatever. Yeah. Nashville's changed unbelievably. Tampa still kind of. And the house I bought was, is in Madeira Beach, which is right outside St. Petersburg. Um, and it's been exactly when I was a little kid, we used to go there. And I'm like, I'm never coming to this old people's beach. And now I'm old and I love it. That's your beach. It's yeah, a normal it's people's our, beach. It's, it's normal people's beach. Yes, it's now some the people's normal beach. folks. It's the quiet. But it hasn't changed that much. Like compared to Nashville, it's it's very similar. It's you normal. talk about a band that you guys are in. Uh, was it the metal band? Yeah. Like yeah. was it a Christian metal band? Started started Christian. as that. Yeah. Well, how does it start? But is it well, like a be, life house? I or think a, we said the f word on stage, and it, they. Once ex- excommunicated, yeah. you were canceled before canceling was a thing. We, we were kind of canceled, canceled by that. We went to a small Christian school, and we would do like, like fundraisers. It was the first time our band ever played. I was like fourteen; he was sixteen, and we couldn't play rock songs, so we would change the lyrics to like Brian Adams songs, like "I can't wait to see you in heaven" instead of "I find it hard <laughs> to believe we're in heaven" and things like that. So we we had to sort of cater to be able to play rock and roll. We did da na 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 get saved instead of cocaine. Do you know what's so funny about that? Is we used to play churches, and, and instead of uh, George Thorogood bad at the bone, we'd be like, "There's gold up above." Do 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 do. Same thing. It's the same thing. We had to like gold up above instead of bad at the bone. We're like, "There's gold up above." Do do do. So we not think of that. That would have been. We had to change to any song we wanted to do. We had to do the same thing because we wanted to play the songs. I like "There's gold up above." I may rewrite that. You know, I don't know that you should because <laughs> I don't want to tickle a bone, but it's amazing how full of crap church stuff can be because it's just if it's in name and it falls into the into the lane, it's good. But as soon as someone has a real problem, they seem to like scatter like flies. Not not always, but says the person canceled by the churches. I'll be <laughs> honest, the church invented canceling. I mean, it, it it really did. We we canceled some people when I was a kid. I'm like, man, if they stopped going to our church. We lost their numbers. Did you learn or learn your love for music in church? We did. Yeah. Like, was there a music, uh, like, or a choir, or there was a band in our church? Like, it was. We learned. I mean, I maybe different. I didn't love the music in the church, but if you had the option to play play in church, yeah, we would play it. Yeah, because it was more fun to play in church than to stand there listening to it. So we had drums and bass and guitar. So we did play in church and learned how to play. We had to play in church. We have two older sisters. The oldest one, they're both way better musicians than we are. The oldest one can sight read Beethoven and tell you what note a car horn is. She's just like freak. And the other one sings amazing. And Brad was a killer guitar player from age like 10. He was just great at guitar. And I just never really practiced or did anything. That my mom would be like, you're never going to be able to play an instrument when you get older. Like somehow that would be the he death of the me. musical black sheep of the family. And now he can play every instrument. And, but know. I just joined the band when I was 14 because he said, hey, all the high school girls are coming to watch our band practice. So I just literally got in the band to hang out with. The older you're, kids, you're younger and this, than that, old, I think. Old, see older girls, literally. But your parents musical? Yes. Yeah. In what both. way? Uh, both play guitar, both sing. Did they ever try to do it professionally, even when they were younger? No, and they encouraged us not to do it, and told us it was not a job, and it's it a was hobby. not a career, and yeah. that we would wind up playing in bars until we were fifty, and all the. Things. They could have been right. It was really close. <laughs> you know? But it takes someone who's almost failed at trying to know that, though. So yeah, they probably played a little bit and put their toes. My dad played in a few bands, but never like serious, made a living so, even yeah. playing. So, so they have a passion for music. Was it just around all the time, or did you see that you would get acceptance or favor from your parents because they loved it? If you loved it, they didn't actually like it the way we did. We had to play a musical instrument. It was like a that's thirty minutes a day. You had to practice something. So I played trumpet. He played trombone. Not cool instruments when you're a kid, and then. Um, I heard a, a guy, we went to a friend's house in the church, and he played 
um, Sweet Home Alabama on his electric guitar through an amp, and I was transformed in that moment. I was 11 years old, and I'm like, I'm playing electric guitar. Did they Are, make you guys do brass instruments? Oh, they, yeah. They did, because oh, oh, they so didn't want was, us to play rock and roll. Got yes. it, got yeah. it. And, and we were literally, we grew up in a funny, it's crazy, because everybody wanted to be at our house, but we did not have a television. Everyone to be at our house, my mom wasn't the greatest cook. Um, but kids just came over, we played basketball. It was like this, it was this crazy house to grow up in, but literally my mom and dad made us run three miles before school every day, even when I was in the first grade. Like my physically dad, run. As physically, a family. Get up and we would run. And then my mom made our own sweatpants and like we wore earth shoes. We just wanted to be cool. We weren't allowed to go to Applebee's because they sold beer. So we had this, more so to please them, we just wanted to be accepted. We wanted to be cool. That sort of false sense of being cool. I think that's what drove us more than almost anything else early could, on. Could you listen to secular music? No, we were not uh, allowed. We snuck. Until what age were you uh, finally allowed? Until we left their house. And then when you started sneaking secular music, was it rock? Yeah, yeah, yes. it was Van Halen and Tom Petty and yeah, we Melon yeah, Camp and yeah. everything that kind of sounds like what we do still. Did you ever get caught? Oh yeah. Yeah, um my they, my grandmother gave us a little black and white TV and my dad put it in the attic so we wouldn't watch it. This is when we were teenagers. Well, she gave you a TV, but your dad said you can't watch the TV. Yeah. You were just given... Right. Yeah, he would let us grandma. watch it occasionally on Friday nights if we watched Rawhide. But he would family. go into the attic and get it, bring it down, and we could watch Rawhide, and then he put it back in the attic. Now, by the way, this isn't like 1965. This is like 1989. All oh, your yeah, friends... Raw, were, rawhide, and that's what you could watch in 85? Was Rawhide. 89. Yes. Yeah. yeah, it was like in... Uh, what do you they call it? They played that? it at midnight on Friday night or something. Yeah. And so we would, they had Friday night videos. Remember Friday night videos? I do. Okay, so if you didn't have MTV, which we certainly didn't have, you could watch. So we would sneak into the attic quietly, take that little TV down and put it in my mom's sewing room and watch Friday night videos with the volume barely up. And remember the, the, the handle was broken, so you had to turn it with your, with your fingers. It was just hysterical. The links we would go to. Or to pliers. Or we, pliers. We had broken. <laughs> we always Stick had broken TV. Yeah, and you had to go in and then that, the channel. And if you're... Born in 82 or below, you know what that is. Yeah, you know, it the, is. Th yeah. Th 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 so you guys have two older sisters. Now, were they also sneaking music in, or were they pretty much angels and did just the Christian music? Angels. They were pretty much angels. Angels, yeah. They, were, yeah, they, yeah. Didn't they, made, it, they made us look. We were, we were pretty wild anyway, but they really shined the light. It was a at real first, contrast. At first, they, they really made us them. look bad, and then eventually yeah. we made us look bad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> were you guys best friends as kids? Even though, because two years is significant... And it gets nah. less significant as you get older. No, as he got older, I mean, we had our own friends. And he was in different grades. And we played on all the sports teams there at the school. So we kind of had our own groups of people. But, I mean, we were around each other a lot. I guess. We fought every day for probably three or four years from, like, 10 to 13. We fist fought every single day. Like, every day. So best friends would have been weird, but we did everything together. And we share, we still share friends that we made back then. Like, someone between our ages that was a year younger than me and a year older than him. Mm -hmm. Still, our you know our our best friends are still friends that we made together. So it's interesting that we weren't like what we would have been called best friends, but we were. Did you guys collaborate on anything musical as teenagers? Oh yeah, like to write. Like, do you remember the first time you guys actually wrote something original together? Not not words to a melody that already existed or like a Christian parody. Yeah, I mean, okay. So it's funny. The reason we've written twenty five hundred songs together is because we were. I wrote all the songs. For, I was older, so I wrote all the songs for our little band. And what was the name? Uh, Warren Hill was the first one, and then there was Saint Warren. Uh, there's a Warren theme here, obviously. Yeah, yeah we, yeah, like, we yeah. liked that. I, I we, so we liked ourselves. Pleasing to the ear. And uh, <laughs> so I wrote all the songs, and then 
Brett started writing songs, and I was like, these are good. So we kind of started arguing about whose songs we were going to play at the one show we played every two months. And uh, we just decided to write together so we wouldn't compete for the songwriting. And like 30 years and 3,000 songs and a fair number of hits later, we realized that that was the moment we started writing songs together, and we just did it together. Did you guys want to pursue a career in Christian music when you were teenagers before you were excommunicated from the the Christian music death metal scene? Yeah. I mean, kind of. We just It was all we knew. A career in music, and because we were kind of in that world where anything that wasn't Christian was bad, yes, but we wanted to be on a tour bus, we wanted to make videos, we wanted to play on stage, so whatever that meant, Christian, non-Christian. I grew up Southern Baptist. Yeah. What were you, what were you guys? Southern Baptist. Southern but Baptist. it was charismatic Southern Baptist, so... Our Southern Baptist Church, we spoke in tongues and like people were slain in the spirit. And I, my grandmother was Pentecostal, and so she spoke that, in tongues. Yep. So I guess I did kind of both, but in yeah. different buildings. It's very similar. We yeah. did it in the same church, which was odd. I re- I remember the first time I saw her speak in tongues, and and my grandmother adopted me for a long time in my life. It was my mom too, and I was like, "What is happening right now?" Like looking back, the, what are your thoughts right now on that? Curious. Bizarre. Yeah. But just wildly bizarre. I think if I walked in now and saw it, I'd walk out. I okay. I was like a teenager, and the, all the other older teenagers laid hands on me to get my prayer language. So I would speak in tongues. And I remember sitting there, and they were all. Oh, I was so hungry, and I was so tired. And they kept praying for me to get my prayer language. And I finally just started blubbering something, so they would stop. You know, and they and then when I when I started blubbering, they just cheered like I was on stage at Madison Square Garden. Like, they were so happy that I got in my prayer legs. I'm like, oh, no, I didn't. I was just hungry. Yeah, and I would ass- my assumption would be that you're, because I would see, I didn't know it was called prayer language. I, I, right. But I remember the first time that people would speak in tongue, tongues, I don't know if it's plural or not, at the Pentecostal I've church. Heard it plural. And everyone would, again, maybe not cheer. Sometimes it was cheering, but it was always positive, extremely positive affirmations because of it. So I would go, are we sure they're just not doing that for positive affirmation and they just keep doing it because they got rewarded the first time? And so now that's, I always felt that way even as a kid. I don't know if everybody was, but somebody was. Somebody was doing that for the It felt like the Ouija board. <laughs> like somebody <laughs> is moving that thing. <laughs> and so, but yeah, it was, um, but I went to a Southern Baptist, but we could dance at our church. At the Southern Baptist well, church. Mm-hmm. We wow. danced too. We did the Jeremiah dance where everybody held hands in line and did the thing back and forth. I don't know what that Jehovah is. Jehovah Jireh. Like just everybody. Oh, the, yeah. The they called church. it the that Jeremiah dance. like a fun dance. Yeah, no, of all the dances. not fun. We always said, you know why Baptist people don't have sex standing up? Because they're afraid someone might think they're dancing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. We were like, no, no dancing if it was rock music, but you could flail about the church while speaking in tongues, and that was cool, but you couldn't like if, slow dance to... You couldn't do it slower to music. You can do the same thing slower to music. Right. You can only do it fast. And if, right. My church was pretty, I mean, I went to a Southern Baptist church, Mountain Pine Baptist, and they were actually not the typical what I hear from people who went to other Southern Baptist churches mm-hmm. because it, some of my friends were like, I mean, they were just like held. You can only do this. We're regular. Everything's regulated. And I don't know if it's because my town was so poor. They were just like, hey, man, whatever. We're just glad to have people Yeah, here. it's just like, thank <laughs> yeah. you, and you gave us a buck. We appreciate <laughs> yeah, exactly. that. Maybe. So Maybe. You, when do you guys decide that to to do what you want to do, you have to travel? I'm not even going to say go to Nashville, but you know there there's a point in your music career where you go, we can't just do shows here. We can't be in just Tampa. Maybe we go 
play a show. At, we got to go Tallahassee, you know, Atlanta. When do you guys start? I mean, traveling? we had done a lot of that. We moved over to the beach right after we had the Christian rock band. We graduated from high school. He was two years ahead of me, so he did two years of college. I went to one day of college. We started traveling around, and ironically, he's a adjunct <laughs> professor at. Belmont now for songwriting. <laughs> it is pretty you funny. That I went to one day of college. I tell the kids at Belmont. I actually say not to sidetrack. My advice is, if you're in the songwriting school, you don't need to spend fifty-two thousand dollars a year. It's just quit school now. But I love Belmont. Do you know not to sidetrack your sidetrack? Let's keep sidetracking. See how far we Yeah, but I went and spoke at a college, uh, Texas State University, and it, I went and spoke to the radio television class and, and went to the radio people and I said, "Hey, don't don't do radio in college. Like, what are you doing?" <laughs> Why are you doing, don't do radio. Like either, if you're trying to do what I'm doing, you're not in the right place. Right. You need to go be doing it. Or if you need to get a degree, like I had to get a degree, don't study this while you're here. So study you're, something else. Yeah. yeah. And they, they told me I wasn't allowed back on campus. For years, I was banned from campus. <laughs> what a, did you study? What was your major? Well, hold, let me I'll finish this. I got a letter from them going, hey, thank you for coming, but don't, we're not, you can't come back. And then like four or five years later, I finally got a, a note from the new president that came in said hey we would love to have you back and that's so, funny i still haven't been back but but yeah they told me well, these kids back. are all in our class my class they're seniors they're songwriting majors that's what their major is and i asked them how many songs have you written this year one i started one i've written two you know like very few and i'm like i'm 51 i've had quite a few hits and i've written thousands of songs and i've written six this week like you're competing with jim beavers you're competing with you know you didn't write six songs in one week no nah, but i mean Maybe six songs in the month, two weeks, whatever. Week I mean, they're 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 not doing what they want to do. The only way to do that is to actually do it. Do it. It's that simple. I wish I could. My whole class is about sort of just the the psychology of just doing it. And we have a, they graduate on May the fifth, and I always have a class called May the sixth. Where are you working? Is your dad cutting you off financially? Where are you living? What are you going to do to be able to write four to five songs a week to compete with Ernest and all these new writers that are coming up that are your age? And so it's just but, real practical. And so I didn't learn that in my one day of college. But Brett, what if some, what if a kid came and missed class, missed a bunch of class, and you were like, hey, yo, where you been? And like, I literally got a call to do some writing, and sorry, but I wrote these songs. What do you do as, as the instructor? Um, it's That's his choice he's going to have to make. I don't really monitor that. I don't even keep a tab of uh, attendance. Mm. I'm they'll, in my class. They'll meet Troy Tomlinson one week, and Seth England, and uh, Ken Levitan, and managers and producers and big writers. And we we meet on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and they meet someone like yourself in the business on a Tuesday, and then we'll talk about radio and what a radio pro promo tour looks like and what that would look like for you. Or we'll have a manager and say, "Why do you need a manager or a business manager?" And so if they don't want to meet, if they're songwriting majors and they don't want to meet Ben Vaughn or Troy Tomlinson or you know Seth England. They're not I very say, smart. Yeah, I'm like, you're seniors. This this is class as a gift for you. I don't do tests. I don't need a paper. You telling me what music means to you. I'm going to introduce you to real people that tell their story, and they're all very similar. Can they fail? Um, if they don't show up for the class, they fail. What yeah. if they didn't show up because they're writing songs? <laughs> I'm going to fail them. Yeah, you write songs at another time. You've committed to this class. That's what I was hired to do. So, yeah, you have to work around it. Quit or write the songs and fail and don't worry about it if they're great songs. Yeah. It's a, it's a choice. Yeah, it's you a have choice. To make. Yeah. I, I went and I've spoken. Where do you, Belmont? Where you I did Lipscomb for three years, and that this semester I'm going to teach at Belmont. You, what, what do you mean this semester? Like January? Starting the spring semester, correct. You know, when I Coming up. I spoke, I mean, I've spoken to a bunch of schools, but one of the last ones that I spoke at, I shouldn't end in a preposition, sorry, teach, but... I uh, got my day-to-day -day manager. She was actually a college student. Wrote my name. Here it is. Email me for an internship. 
She emailed me, brought her on as an intern, assistant producer, couldn't really pay her that much there, hired her as my assistant, um, executive producer, uh, head producer, and then took her. And she works at Red Light Management now and is my day-to-day manager for me speaking at a class. Because awesome. I would go and be like, this is what's happening. This is right. how you do it. This is what, and then that's I made that connection there. It's she a lot of hustle. up though. Oh yeah, like yeah. like I got out the door and she was like, "Brunk, hey, I'd love to talk <laughs> about an internship." And I was like, "That's what I'm talking about. That's exactly how." There's to- always one kid in the class. It's just like this girl, Peyton Porter, is an artist. She was one of my classes, and she was doing every music show and emailing people and writing songs, even when she was in my class. And she's the one that's kind of moved forward and really doing it. You can just sort of tell the people that aren't letting grass grow to their feet. They're moving and shaking. This festival and concert season will be all about the boots, and Tacovas is your next stop before attending your next concert. Tacovas has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring. You're talking about men's boots, women's boots, um, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tacovas boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition, timeless style, always on trend. And Tacovas has first wear comfort, little to no break-in period. Like it's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Plus, direct consumer pricing keeps the value on your feet, the money in your pocket. So stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink, shop the new styles. You like the smell of leather or no? I love it. Yeah. That's what the whole store basically is. Fresh leather. Yep. Friendly staff. Or like the smell of staff? <laughs> I don't know. I guess I'm sure they smell good there. Many stores have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. What a gift, too. Regular live music and events. There is no in-store experience like this. If you can't make it to a store, just visit tecovas.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S. Yeah. Yeah. Tecovas.com. Find your new favorite pair of boots today. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. How do the biggest names in outlaw country start a musical revolution? Through one woman's vision from one tiny living room. Don't miss Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in the new scripted Audible original, The Boar's Nest. Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Brewer shaped the sound and soul of country music as we know it today, despite never picking up an instrument herself. Lovingly dubbed as the Boar's Nest, Sue's place was an intimate staging ground where a new breed of singer-songwriters, wounded souls, wayward upstarts, that's where they would spur each other and tap into something bigger and something realer. Starring Mandy Moore and featuring Eben Moss Backrack as Shel Silverstein and TJ Osborne as Johnny Cash alongside a full ensemble cast. Audible invites you to enter the Boar's Nest and experience the rise of a musical revolution. One woman, one time, one place. The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer, and the birth of outlaw country music. Listen now at audible.com slash the Boar's Nest. Hey, it's Amy Brown here to talk about the incredible work that's being done by St. Jude Children's Research Hospital and to ask you today to join me in becoming a partner in hope. When you make a donation to St. Jude, you're helping an organization that has helped push the overall childhood cancer survivor rate from 20% to more than 80%. And I can tell you from personal experience, that number and the hope that it brings is invaluable. Families do not have to worry about a thing. Treatment is covered, travel, housing, food. And when you're a family that's going through this, like imagine you're a parent, your kid gets cancer. You need to focus on that child. You don't need to be worrying about other things and financial stuff can get really stressful. St. Jude covers it. Your support means families never receive a bill from St. Jude for treatment. And when you sign up for just $19 a month, you're going to get the new This Shirt Saves Lives tea. So join me in helping St. Jude in the fight against childhood cancer. 
Become a partner in hope and text Bobby to 785-833. That's B-O-B-B-Y to 785-833. You guys started moving and shaking when when you when did you start going, we gotta make money, we gotta travel? So we started okay, so we started as this like original band doing showcases and working day jobs. And at some point we just got tired of working at a job, so we started learning cover songs and playing beach bars and happy hours. And we did that for a couple of years. It was cool. And one day, I had just, that day, we lived in this little shack on the beach, which was pretty fun, and we played for the tourists. And and I had decided, like, we got to get out. We had visited Nashville a few times. Um, and we didn't know if we were a rock band or a country band. Just We just knew that this was a music town. And I had just decided, like, we're, we're going to move to Nashville. I'm, d- I'm done with this. And, like, that night, Brett came home, and he goes, dude, have you heard that song, I Can't Make You Love Me, but Bonnie Raynor? Yeah, of course. And he said, I just heard that song on the way home. And maybe pull off the road and and just sit and listen to the whole thing. And I'm just, we, we need to move to Nashville. Expecting me to say, oh, let's see. And I said, yeah, I'm ready to go. Let's go tomorrow. So we didn't go tomorrow, but we went like a month later, maybe two months later. We got in and our, we shared a Toyota Corolla. <laughs> I don't know. Some girl gave it to him. Long story. Um, a girl gave you a car? Christian two, Rock pays off. Two yeah. girls <laughs> gave him cars. Crazy. You two must girls. Be a neck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just a gigolo. And, uh, I can speak in tongues really good. <laughs> oh. I didn't mean that the way it came out, but you guys all took it. Well, yeah, 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 nice, yeah. yeah. But literally, what happened was we came here, and we didn't even know what we do for a living now exists. What was your expectation, though, when you tell him, let's move to Nashville? What did you think he would say, and what did you want from him? I, I was just... Uh, I was just passionate about it. I was sort so of, you did really want to go. I was really wanting to go. I was probably going to go no matter what, but I knew he would do. I, I you know, we could kind of tell. We were we're frustrated yeah. in the idea that there was a low ceiling, like you said. I, we've got to get out of here. That was that was kind of like understood. But we were it's, we were so sheltered as kids that those two or three years at our mid twenties playing covers for a living was something we needed to grow up. We were paying our rent and figuring out how to play music, entertain crowds, and. We needed that. We were just kind of late bloomers, and uh, but we were coming here to be stars. We were coming here to be Keith Urban, you know. Or- so we knew one guy here. He was a host at Bennigan's. This guy named Johnny V, and he introduced the first person we. So we, we rented an apartment, a one bedroom. We shared a one bedroom apartment, and we went to see our buddy that worked at Bennigan's as a host. It was the only person we knew in in Nashville, and he introduced us to his friend that was also a host at Bennigan's, Shane McAnally. Wow. Literally, and he was just like—I mean, he was further behind than we were in the music business. He Shane, had Shane is probably how old? Probably our age. Twenty. Oh, that young, time? He's probably twenty-two, 20, twenty-three, maybe. Maybe wow. ninety-four. Yeah, I'm, I'm a songwriter too. We're like, cool. I mean, he was like, a cool. I had no idea he would become the, the greatest. We knew songwriter. one guy from Florida that had made a connection here with a guy named Buzz Kaysen, who has a studio right next to Black. Well, we didn't been know there him. forever. <clears throat> and Buzz introduced us to a new songwriter in town that we started writing some songs with named Tom Douglas. We had mm-hmm. no idea that we were going to start getting mentored and start writing songs with that guy of that caliber. Have you seen his documentary? Oh, oh yeah. Isn't it the... Oh, yeah. It's, it's the greatest. I have, I've watched it 10 times. Even if I didn't know Tom and didn't know his work and House That Built Me, for everybody listening, would probably be the song that most people associate with him. Yeah, correct. Yeah. It, the documentary is so good. It's unbelievable. Every what is should it? have to watch. It's, like a, I, I it's not even a documentary. It's kind of like a monologue... Yeah. Yeah, it's like Pizza. a moving monologue, like a moving docu-logue. I don't it's a know. A moving docu-logue. But he said that's exactly what it is. That's exactly what it is. He was like, would you like to watch this? This is a year and a half ago. Yes. Maybe two. Mm-hmm. He said, would you like, because we don't know what to do with it. And I watched it, and I was so moved by it that I was as honest as I could be. I said, I don't know what to do with it either. 
but I do know what it did to me. And yes. I, and I actually felt all, and I just kind of listed the things that I felt. And is it even out? Can you get yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's on, um, Paramount, on Plus. Uh, Paramount Plus. Yes. Okay, well then let me do a <laughs> little pl plug here. Yeah. We should probably get Tom back on then. It's called Love Tom. Love, Love Tom. Tom. It's amazing. It's on Paramount Plus, and um, Jason Owen kind of helped him move it there. And he However. just moves from one stage and one <clears throat> song. And to Every songwriter should have to watch that. He if tells the story of his life and raps in the songs that he's written and kind of the psychology of songs and life. and, and I, don't life. Know, I, I don't even I, think you need to be a songwriter to enjoy it. No, no. you don't. Yeah. My, so, son, my kids don't really, they're not paying much attention. My son, when it came out, he's 17. I think he was 15. And I, we sat down. I said, watch this with me. And he got done. He goes, I get it. I love it. Awesome. And you met Tom when you get first got here, or close to... Tom was our mentor, which yeah. is crazy, because everyone's like, you guys don't even seem like you would know Tom Douglas. Does he still like you? Yeah, yeah, we're great. Oh, we're okay. great friends. Okay, As a matter of fact, we were... We, were <laughs> we think. We were budding <laughs> still like alcoholic drug addicts when we met Tom, and he somehow dealt with us, and then when we became sober, we really became close, and he's like, gosh, I was so worried about you guys for so long. But, we, yeah, we loved each other right away, and we were really different. Did you but, guys struggle together? with alcoholism or addiction or almost. Yeah. And, and I say that coming from somebody that my mom died of addiction. Yeah, so yeah, I, no, I talk no. about it pretty freely and openly. So so do we. Yeah, okay. I want to get to that too, that you you don't drink, right? Never. I've yeah, never that's drink. amazing because um, I think that you'd probably need a reason, but it's imagine what you could accomplish in life if you just eliminated that time-sucking, energy-sucking thing of alcohol and drugs. Even, even people that don't have a problem, it's a lot of time spent doing that. I mean, you're kind of living proof, but I've always been kind of amazed with someone who could see that as a potential problem, especially someone who had a parent or a sibling that struggled with it. And the tendency is for that person to just delve in and do it the same thing anyway. And I, I loved, I always loved the story that you just didn't do it because cool. you saw that. I mean, you yeah, think that helped your career? I first, let me say, I for me, I don't really, I, and I'm sure we all have similar views. We've all experienced different versions of it, right, through different yeah, parts of our same family, thing. and so. For me, I've been just scared of it. I wish I could drink. I wish <laughs> I don't have the ability to relax ever. And I have to go through, I, and I go to a therapist and I have some like severe PTSD stuff from being attacked and jumped. That had nothing to do with it, but I can't ever just go, <sighs> ever. So when That's I see it. my friends <laughs> be able to have a beer or to have a drink, I'm very jealous. I envy the, the ability to have something that would make you just go, okay, there's a slightly less... The only thing I've ever had that made me feel like, oh, this is awesome, and I wish I could have it all the time, is laughing gas. Like, so I, I eat a lot of sugar on purpose. <laughs> I'm like, all right, all right, Doc, I'm back. Did hit me up. No, but I, I am... I always knew, though, and it's not the same with other parts of my family. Not everybody made the same decision I did. And I mm -hmm. look back now, and I'm like, how, how did I even know? Because there was a lot of trouble, and I had to raise myself in many ways. But I don't know how I was able to go. I'm never going to do it. And I never did it. And I'm shocked by that. Let me put your mind at ease. For, well, I don't know. Everyone will have a different opinion on this. I think it's a gift. Sobriety is a gift because the crutch that we use to relax does work for about 20 minutes. Maybe an hour if you don't have a problem. But it doesn't really work in the long run. Anything that gave me what I would call relief wound up with bad behavior and a terrible hangover. And something that I regretted, and you don't have to wake up in the morning and wonder who you texted or what you said. And if you make a mistake, you can kind of own it because it was you. And I mean, that's, it's the, not that's, like that's the worst part. I don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I wish I could be like, I was drunk, guys. There's the but for excuse. people that don't have a problem, that don't have the addiction, they can have a beer or a glass of wine, and it does sort of. Shine yeah, I, the I edge used to off. be jealous. I did. I used but for to be guys jealous, like us that we have the disease, I mean, it 
alcohol really wasn't our problem. It was our solution. We were the same way. I didn't really realize it growing up, but I was insecure and I wanted people to like me and I felt uncomfortable, socially awkward. And then when I would drink a couple of drinks, I just didn't care. And I was the wild guy and the funny guy. So if four drinks were good, 12 were amazing. And it just Man, became this crutch. Same mindset. Same with everything. It's yeah. really that way. So. Do you guys have addictive personalities? A hundred. More. Oh, yeah, me too. Our drug of choice is more. What? Caffeine. I overdo caffeine to this day. I think I work a lot. Yeah, mm-hmm. obviously. Yeah. And it's an... I, Keep your mind busy. I Absolutely. And I understand why someone like... We talked about him earlier, Tom, Tom McGraw, where he would work out all the time. Mm-hmm. Because if you have an addictive personality, and I do... God, I do with everything mm-hmm. I do. Mm-hmm. I decided early to to like fill that hunger with hopefully hopefully positive things. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be addicted to something. Okay, I got it. But what I'm going to be addicted to are things that are going to be the healthiest option for me. Not always healthy. It's not healthy how much I work. No, it's not healthy how much I'm obsessed with. It doesn't matter what it is for this three months or year or it's not healthy. But I think it's healthier than where I want to go. Right. If you deal That's, with your anxiousness. And your anxieties by overworking, it's not necessarily perfect, but it's a lot better than if you dealt with them without. Because people ask me, what do you miss about not drinking? And I say, the first 30 minutes. You don't drink at all anymore? No. No, 17 years. Neither one of us has had to drink 17 Is that years. right? Correct. We, we started you. together. We used together. We quit together. <laughs> Why'd you quit? Hit the bottom. We never, people always ask, did you get a DUI? None of that. Just, I, we were done. I wanted to quit. And my wife was about to leave. She did She stopped crying. She sat me down lovingly and said, hey, you know what? I really care about you. I'm worried about you. I'm going to move home to Detroit. I had two little kids at the time. And I was like, wow, this is really happening. And it kind of was this clarity moment. And then it was still about a year and a half till I fully quit it. But I really tried on my own. I'm only going to drink on the weekends. I'm only going to drink wine. I'm not going to take pills. I mean, fill in the blank. I was trying to do it myself. And we kind of were out. In LA, Let's be honest, too. Somewhere. You didn't get a DUI because we lived on a bus. Because we would have gotten oh, major I'm not saying it like patting myself on the back, but right. there wasn't like a big incident like that. That it was just drugs. Was too. We were using cocaine, and it was that's no good. Into it's that. really we were, fun, right up until it stops being fun. It looks a lot, yeah. and then I mean, it's not yeah. any fun anymore. If I'm being honest, it looks like great fun. Yeah, like it looks mm-hmm. like the greatest fun ever. And I don't even say that jokingly. It's I all my <laughs> friends. They have they went to college. They have all these stories in college of. <laughs> parties and oh well look what we did you know what i did i went to work and yes it's great now it is it's great but you know i yeah. there is there's my point is i'm not i don't celebrate the fact that i never had a drink like look at my trophy i go it's hard and i wish that i could not but i know where i have deficiencies well, i think we all have them in different areas of our life it's just 100%. i also don't keep sugar in the house because i know i eat it all right then <laughs> right then and there all of it i'll eat a whole cake yeah, so yeah, I, can't. I still do that. Yeah. Too. I'm as yeah. healthy as my grocery store trip. <clears throat> that's, I mean, if you have kale and almonds and blueberries, that's well, what it's I'll funny because we're, we're into the things. fitness a lot right now, and I intermittent fast. My kids are tired of hearing; it. they want to hear it anymore. But I can deny myself much better than I can moderate myself. Same, and I intermittent I can fast say for no. the same reasons. Yeah, because once I start, I literally eat for eight hours straight. It's almost like I am addicted to intermittent fasting once I start or whatever it is. Yeah. It's like, I'm, now I'm going to be the, I want to be the best at everything too. So I know that if I drink, I'd be the number one drinker. I want to be the number one intermittent faster. Yeah. I want to be the, so yeah. what, you know, what you said that resonated with me was well, your wife stopped crying mm-hmm. because that's a, that's a stage in it for whomever you're with. Yes. Even with my mom, it got to the point where I wasn't upset anymore. And I was just like, okay, well, I've exhausted that 
parts mm -hmm. and it's not going to get better Correct. because of the exhaustion and the emotion. So now we're at this stage and you know, there were times checking her in and out of places mm -hmm. that were very difficult before she died. And, but that is a stage. That was a stage that I had, but I, you know, her brother died also same reason my dad left was when you're from a small town in a rural area where there aren't a lot of options. Like I understand the opioid epidemic in the way of, I get it. Yeah. Oh, I, I, totally I hate it. it. It sucks, but I get it. When you have no options. Hopelessness and isolation. Yeah, are, I would uh -huh. do, if I, were, if I were hopeless and isolated and sad, and here's something that can make me not be for a bit, I would, for, so it's a fun it's Definitely a lure. Well, I want to know what age you were when you just said, like. Don't remember it. Always knew don't it. Or just, just do it. So awesome. I would see, and my real dad left. Right, so I never. I, he left at five, five or six. Five or six. I, I, I vaguely remember. And then, him. how old were you when you like gave up with your? I mean, like I don't mean gave up, but you know what I mean when you said, "Okay, I can't." Not, the emotion's not going to fix this. For which part? Like when you stopped getting stressed about her going to rehab or or over. Never. <clears throat> I never, never got stressed never about her. I just always had this romantic version in my head of her, because I knew, and you guys will. Maybe you can disagree if you'd like. I knew for her to get better, she had to get to a place where she wanted to do it wholly herself. Totally. For a long time, I felt like I can want it so bad mm -hmm. for her. And if she kind of wants it, and then I started to make money. And I was like, oh, great. I'll buy her some land. Bought her some land. Then bought her a place to live. But I was actually doing what I shouldn't be doing, and I was aiding her. Enabling it. Enabling her. Yeah. And so as I'm enabling her. It's tough. People don't know. They don't know. So then it's, okay, well, but I'm doing all this stuff I thought could help. But actually enabled her to have more time and more resources to do that. And so she, I don't think she ever really wanted it. I don't think she knew. But again, she had me, she got pregnant at 15. Mm -hmm. You know, she never did know poverty. Yeah. So you have like, siblings? I have a sister, yeah. Older or younger? Younger, four years younger. And I had to do a lot of that raising myself. Mm -hmm. um, Are y'all close now? She's Closer. My sister had some struggles. she live here? Or no? no, she lives in Arkansas, where I'm from. So, but she never really, my mom... I, at one point, I don't make this about me, but I just find it so fascinating that you guys will openly talk about it because I know you guys have gone through The parallels are That's really cool. I, and, and I'll end on my part of the story with this. I had been jumped at work and had a gun held in my head outside a radio event and death threat. I had a lot of stuff happen. And I'd been to the doctor. I don't like to take medicine even because I'm so scared to be addicted to stuff. <laughs> right. But there are times where I have to take medicine because I'm also, I, you know, uh, I'm not a hippie. Mm -hmm. yeah. So... I went to the doctor and we started really light and tried all these things because I wasn't sleeping. Mm -hmm. I'd, I'd go maybe get an hour of sleep every two nights because I closed my eyes and I was getting attacked constantly in my dreams or my sleep. And so we tried all this stuff. And finally, he said, hey, why don't we try this sleeping pill? We tried everything. So I'm scared to get addicted. He goes, great, then let's not. You cannot sleep. We went through all the process. Took sleeping pills. Got to the point on them where I was dependent. I'm not going to say addictive, but I was definitely dependent. And there's, mm -hmm. a, there's a difference. There's a difference. difference. Yeah. And I, I stopped and I went through some crazy withdrawal from the sleeping pills and I vomited for a few days, blurry, felt terrible. And I remember thinking to myself, if this is withdrawal from sleeping pills, if I were my mom, I would never stop taking meth yeah. at how violent. And that going, I'm, I feel so lucky to have gone through that mm -hmm. because it gave me an understanding of the monster that she was constantly fighting. Yeah. That, that addict, not just the addiction part, but Okay, if she wanted to quit, and then she went through something that was, I don't even understand. And for me, it was awful. And mine was sleeping pills. Mm -hmm. Yeah, It wasn't even like the hard stuff that she had got addicted to. And so that was, uh, I'm very grateful for that sleeping pill instance and issue, just for that understanding. It's like my wife, we, we 
I mean, that's a different story. We might may or may not get to it. Like when we, my son had my oldest son had this this issue, and we lost him. But my wife would take it personally, and I was like, "You don't," because I'm an addict. I completely understood. I've been through everything. It's not personal. He is not doing this to misbehave. It is literally. It's more of a miracle the moment in time that passes where he doesn't do this. It's way more of a miracle that I don't drink today than the, than crazy that I did. I am programmed to do that. I was the best at drinking. Maybe he was the best, but when we were first and second place, often. Um, and it, it, that is the – I mean, you're just programmed that way and having experienced it, which is why we're able to help a lot of people um, in recovery. We do it because if you if you don't understand it, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know I know that. I recognize that. And they can, people can tell you the worst things about them, and you're like, yeah, I get it. And they kind of are almost taken aback by the fact that you're not jumping on them or gasping or, and whatever it might be. And um, that that is the gift and the transfer of it on. But it, if you haven't had that experience, what you had, it's hard to understand. You're just like, that's why would you do that? I understand. This festival and concert season will be all about the boots. And Tacova's is your next stop before attending your next concert. Tacova's has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring. You're talking about men's boots, women's boots, um, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tacova's boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition, timeless style, always on trend. And Tacova's has first wear comfort, little to no break-in period. Like it's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Plus, direct consumer pricing keeps the value on your feet, the money in your pocket. So stop by your local Tacova store. Have a complimentary drink. Shop the new styles. You like the smell of leather or no? I love it. Yeah. That's what the whole store basically is. Fresh leather. Yep. Friendly staff. Or like the smell of staff? <laughs> I don't know. I guess I'm sure they smell good there. Many stores have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. What a gift, too. Regular live music and events. There is no in-store experience like this. If you can't make it to a store, just visit tecovas.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S. Yeah. Yeah. Tecovas.com. Find your new favorite pair of boots today. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. How do the biggest names in outlaw country start a musical revolution? Through one woman's vision from one tiny living room. Don't miss Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in the new scripted audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the Birth of Outlaw Country Music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Brewer shaped the sound and soul of country music as we know it today, despite never picking up an instrument herself. Lovingly dubbed as the Boar's Nest, Sue's place was an intimate staging ground where a new breed of singer-songwriters, wounded souls, wayward upstarts, that's where they would spur each other and tap into something bigger and something realer. Starring Mandy Moore and featuring Eben Moss Backrack as Shel Silverstein and TJ Osborne as Johnny Cash alongside a full ensemble cast. Audible invites you to enter the Boar's Nest and experience the rise of a musical revolution. One woman, one time, one place. The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer, and the birth of outlaw country music. Listen now at audible.com slash the Boar's Nest. Hey, it's Bobby Bones. I just want to say thanks to everybody who has stepped up for the kids at St. Jude. St. Jude's been leading the way in the world's best survival rates for some of the most aggressive forms of childhood cancer. Your support means that families never get a bill from St. Jude for treatment or travel or housing or food so the families can focus on helping their child live. And that really hits home for me because I've been to St. Jude many times. I've hung out with the kids, played music for the kids. I was in the hospital a lot as a kid. Now, I didn't have cancer, but if it wasn't for people stepping up, I don't know that I would have been able to go and stay in the hospital and be taken care of. So that's why we do this, take care of others. 
You can help St. Jude stop childhood cancer by becoming a partner in hope. When you do this, you'll get this awesome new This Shirt Saves Lives shirt. So join all the doctors and researchers, you know, and me in this fight and just text the word Bobby to 785-833. It's only six numbers, but text the word Bobby to 785-833. Empathy is such a tool and you only get it through struggle Mm -hmm. and nobody wants to struggle. So it is something. <laughs> it's that, that old saying, good judgment comes from experience mm-hmm. and experience comes from bad, bad judgment. judgment. <laughs> it's like yeah. kind of like that. But our usage of alcohol and drugs, it seems like this. Oh, yeah, we had to quit. We party too hard. But literally, there's two. I, I've found, and me and Brad talk about it all the time, there's two ways to look at recovery. It's either like, like this punishment where you get locked in a cage or it's a gift. And the gift side of it is because of the kind of strange way we grew up, it kind of developed a real relationship with God with us. And everything that was bad, we kind of lost our record. We didn't know songwriting existed. We moved here to be big stars, and we sort of wasted away that decade and drank away our <laughs> major opportunities. Um, and I was like, well, what? okay, I quit drinking. I'm sober now, but what good is going to come out of this? Did you find How's you God going to use that? Great, and that was leading to my next thing, right? So you, lose your de- you lost the deal. 9-11 happens. We get kicked off our tour. Because it not kicked off like for doing something wrong, but the tour ends. We lost our record deal, lost our publishing deal, and then our dad died two days before Christmas, two thousand one. And our having fun, we're party, we're the rock and roll country guys, led to serious medicating, and it went downhill from there. And so, what is it? Oh four, we got that was oh one. Oh five is four years. So four years of total decade. Four years of just interestingly, when we when we got sober, when it's time, I'm like, oh my god, I'm never going to be able to be creative again. That's what I was. That, that's where I was going. Yep. Here's the irony in that: no one's going to like us. We found out no one liked us. We okay. So <laughs> worrying about the creative process, I'm not drinking anymore. I'm never going to be able to be creative again. This is it's over. We had zero hits. <laughs> we had a record deal, but we we had written a bunch of songs that were not hits. We had no hits, and I was protecting something that didn't even exist, which was a successful songwriting career. Oh, my God. I mean, I can't quit drinking or I'm not going to be able to write. And the year we quit writing, we had two hits. We had never had a hit. We, we And actually, we became songwriters because there was a little humility in becoming the service guy that helped other artists get where they wanted to go. And we realized that our talent was in helping someone get where they wanted to go instead of being the artist. And we started writing and trying to help other people. And immediately, we, we had hits. And we've had a great career since that moment. But I was so afraid that we were going to lose this edge of creativity we had, and I had no success before. That's how insane it is. Was there a clarity that was surprising once you started to create non-medicated? Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, there's that the pink cloud of you just, A, you feel better. I remember driving home going, woo Pull me over. Flying, pull you. me over. I got nothing on me. I've been <laughs> drinking. I wanted a cop to pull me over. <laughs> I was like, pull me over, dude. Check me. so fast for like a year. So it's like you just have this freedom and then, you know, just going going to the meetings and staying clear and your mind just gets clearer with every day. And you have, it comes from a place of humility and total honesty. That exhale you were talking about earlier, you know, it's hard for me to get that too. But I find it in moments like these or when we're just sitting with other people and we're just being completely honest and no one's worried about what you're going to say, you're going to judge you or you made a joke that went too far. It's just like this moment when everybody's just sort of being compassionate, empathetic, and honest. And you can kind of, those are the moments where I go, it's okay. You know what though? Sobriety is, is I'm going to say better. Sobriety is easier for us than it is for you in a way because we've been through a lot of that hell that your mom went through. The, the little issue you have with sleeping pills, we had that for 10 years. And 
yes, there was fun involved, but towards the end, it was total medication, total fun. So it's really easier for us because we experienced so much hell emotionally, spiritually, physically, just feeling horrible the whole time. So it makes it every day that I wake up and I don't have to wonder what I did. I've never in 17 years woken up and say, man, I wish I got hammered last night. It's never happened. So if I can delay the gratification till the next morning, it's, mm-hmm. it's actually really a gift because it was so bad. What were the two songs that you said? The Lucky One? The Lucky for One. Faith Hill and, and Anyway? And Anyway for Martina, Martina. McBride, yeah. Mm-hmm. So did you write them near each other? Because they came out a couple years apart. We, we really remember. The Lucky One got cut oh, okay. later. Okay, the Lucky One we wrote before. I'm sorry. So the two we had at the same time were Anyway and If You're Reading This. Okay. And they were up at the same time. The Lucky One we had written earlier we actually wrote that before we got sober. So it became a hit after we got sober. But we wrote anyway, and if you're reading this, like the first year we got sober. Now, they didn't become hits immediately, but Sounds that was our right. first year of sobriety writing. And to be honest, we, we play uh, corporate nights, Songwriter City, all the time. Um, <clears throat> and in a 45-minute set, and we've written a lot of songs, thousands, and had a lot of hits. And we still, to this day, will play if you're reading this, and anyway, in that set, because they were that, so that first year of sobriety produced something that we still make a living off of, which is I, ironic. I saw Tim do, if you're reading this, when he put out the book a year and a half or so ago, they did the theater tour, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he performed that. And to hear that song, acoustic and in person, it's a gut, it, I mean, it's, it's a gut punch. for. And I've heard that song, because it came out near 2010 or so? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 2000, like that. yeah. Like, yeah. that's when I remember it. Yeah. But to hear it again, in person, acoustic, Every word, right? Because I, for me, I love a slow acoustic, even sad songs because I can hear the words. Mm-hmm. Right. That song. There's not a piece of fat on it. It's, uh, it's so strong. We've had some cool, just going out on the road to write with Tim. He'll let us come up on stage and play with him. And we'll play that song. And we've had, you know, right after we wrote it, it was kind of a hit for him. While we're playing it, ladies come up and set their husband's dog tags on the stage. Mm. I mean, me and Brad are sobbing while we're playing it. We got to play Walter Reed. It's a, every night when we've, we do these corporate shows, a corporation just hires us. It's the, it's the greatest job ever because they're there and they're listening. And we play that particular song. And usually it's just, it's like the song of the night. It is. It's just a, I don't know why. It's just a, it's a, and Dirk Bentley told us when he came out, he goes, well, that's the best song I never want to hear. Again. Yeah, so yeah. Yeah. You're right. It's like a movie. You don't want to hear it every day. sad and you got it and you felt it, but you're yeah. like, okay, I'm good. I don't need to go back and yeah. watch yeah. that one. We're exactly. not watching that one again. I'm not watching The Notebook. I mean, not yeah. that I've ever seen it. Yeah, of course. I mean, yeah, never. Or read the book. I did both. No. <laughs> so Highway Don't Care, speaking of Tim, it transitions me there. Whenever you guys write that, but then that turns into a whole event. And I don't know if that was the assumption that Highway Don't Care, it's Tim and Taylor and Keith Urban on it. And like that, that song kind of graduating to that level, mm-hmm. you write it. Is it just a song for one person? Was it for Tim? And how did it slowly grow? We wrote it as a duet, actually. And we were thinking Tim and Faith. Um, yeah, but we wrote it as a duet. It's funny. We wrote it with Josh Kieran on the work tape. He did the girls part because he could sing really high. It was funny. But we did write it as a duet. And uh, when Tim said he was going to get Taylor's, Swift to do it. We had written with Taylor when she was younger, and God, it's great. And it took a while because she has a lot of, you know, timing issues, and she didn't want it to come out too early when getting in the way of something she was doing. And we were kind of like, Tim, just just do it with somebody else. Just do it with somebody else because we wanted to get it out there. And then when finally when Taylor sang on it, we're like, oh God, thank God. I mean, it's it's never uncool to hear one of your songs recorded by anybody. But I remember when 
we always tell the story live when we do our little thing. It's like, Tim said, hey, I'm cutting another one of your songs. And we're like, great. I went home and told my wife. And she's like, oh, congratulations, you know? And then I told her, Keith Urban's on it. Wow, he's hot. And I was like, and I think it's going to be a single to radio. Well, cool, then we'll get paid. And then I said, and I think it's a duet with Taylor Swift. And my wife looks up and she goes, we are painting the house. <laughs> like, it is one of those, that's, that's a massive song with three huge legendary people on it. It was, those don't come around very often. Yeah, that's often. a good moment. They were, they were, it was pretty cool. Well, looking at you guys' this just collection of songs and going through the catalog, uh, we mentioned Red Solar Cup earlier. And when it comes to Toby, I, weird that wasn't a number one. And it also shows you that not all number ones last and not all songs need to be number one to also last forever and be defining songs. Because when I think of Toby Keith, I think of a couple different American songs and Red Solo Cup. <laughs> like that's a, because his personality, right? His personality lends to he's funny and that's his funniest song. Did you? Were that's you one the, of like BMIs? three songs that he didn't write in his career. Did you go right? to the BMIs? I avoid everything. I went to we CMAs, do too. but I was forced. We don't go to the CMAs. Everybody's like, did you go to CMAs? We're like, if we're ever nominated for something, we might go. My friend Jake was there, and he said that Toby, the Toby thing was really special. It was really special, but Toby's an amazing songwriter, and I think has written every one of his own songs except two or three, and that has to be one of them. So they're honoring him at BMI for being a songwriter, and there's Red Solo Cups on every table, and they had the whole thing where Red Solo That's Cup blows funny. up in the video, and I'm like, this is funny. Me and me and Jim Beavers and Brett Beavers, there, I was like, you know, <laughs> just joking around like, this whole night's about that stupid song. It is something. I don't know why it's that big. It's but. funny about the number ones you mentioned because anyway that we still play wasn't a number one. And if you're reading this, it was not a number one. And Red Solo Cups, the three of our, and we have we have some number one songs that we never play live or I think people have forgotten. They just kind of go by. That song was also a cultural song, yes. meaning we ha we knew we knew the cups, but no one had really identified that that was a part of what. People and I'll just say because where I'm from, what people in the South used when, when they, something's when going they, on when they just hung out and did stuff with other people. Yep, that was it. When something's going on, there's a red cup. Mm -hmm. and, so and on that the track, you hear and I hear Jim even making noise. Are you guys? It's the four of us around one mic. Do you okay. know Jim's brother Brett? Yes. Okay, so, so it's those two the four of us. So Jim and Brett Beavers, me and Brad and Brett Warren, where we did a demo session. And uh, we didn't record that song. And so the engineer, Luke Wooten, we owe him big for this. Uh, he said, hey, do the cup song. We're like, no, we're not doing it. And we had already broken the drums and everything down. And he said, do the cup song. And we said, we're, we're not doing that. It was just a joke. It was just funny. It'll be for us. And he said, no, I want you to do it because I want to play it for my wife. And we said, well, we've already broken all the drums down. And the amps are packed away. And he said, here, here's a mic in the middle of the room. You four sit around and just do it. So Jim Beaver sang it, all the funny stuff. And we recorded it. And anyway, so it wound up getting to Toby Keith. Our friend Butter played it for Toby Keith. And he said, I just want the music to that without the vocals on it because that's exactly what the record's going to be. And we're like, we don't, we don't have a version. You didn't record it in tracks. We it's, didn't do it. One, one, one mic. So one he mic. said, all right, we'll put that in your ears and then go back and do all the crazy shit that you didn't, that you didn't same think guitar, you get a record. Same guitar, the same Just clothes. don't sing it and just leave, the, uh, you know, just leave out the lead vocal. And so literally our chairs are squeaking. Jim Beavers is making funny noises. Brett's going, yeah, it's some part of it. I was trying to imitate Axl Rose at one point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was doing like You can hear me clearing my throat as, the, as it counts off. Brett Beavers is playing a banjo. And he, that's the record. It's amazing. That's sloppy. One take around the mic is the record. Do you guys make a lot of money off that one? No, it's only a number eight, and you don't really get anything extra for it being a cultural icon. Really, song. like it wasn't used in no. places, and did they? We've had quite a few songs that have made more money than that. Now, when we get hired, 
and, and people call us to do a corporate show. They call the company Songwriter City that hires us. Usually that company wants to hear that song. Yeah. They, that's the one that sticks out. And I mean, we'll play big hits and Grammy-nominated songs and Song of the Year nominations from the CMAs. People, oh, it's great. Thank you very much. And then when you play that, everybody's up. Every phone's out. It's crazy. So that's how it's translating into it's it. Just, so actually, we've made more money playing that song yeah, probably, probably than we did off of performance. But that's, Which is that's also a gift, too. What's Good Grief, Good God show? Okay, so I, um, it's a, a podcast I started. Um, so two and a half years ago, my oldest son uh, died from uh, a fentanyl overdose. Um, he had struggled with, with drugs and alcohol. Um, he had been sober for about a year, and then COVID happened, and he just, you know, it just kind of fell off. And he had a, a couple weeks where he was out, and he took some drugs with fentanyl in them, and, um, and he died. So here's a new journey. Um, and I, have, I started meeting with other men that had had, I had a couple friends that had lost children. And I realized that because I'm in recovery, I had people to talk to. Like I had a circle of friends where you, you know, men don't just sit around and get raw and honest with each other that often. That's just something that women do. And we were raised in a culture and, and, you know, you just don't talk about your feelings. And, um, I realized that these men that I knew didn't have, that weren't in recovery, didn't have anyone. Some of these guys, four years, five years, their, their child had been gone and they had never talked about it. I'm like, well, that's ridiculous. We should change that. So I started a meeting at my house um, with dads that lost kids. And so there's, you know, um, some people that you would probably like Casey Bethard and, and Jeffrey Steele and some people that, um, but there's just a group of guys and we just started dialogue and just talk about the loss and really honest about things. And it's amazing. It's never in my life, except for that hour once a month or that two hours, am I in a room full of people where everyone knows exactly how I feel? Um, and that conversation kind of something in me um i wasn't really actually thinking of it. i ran into a guy we were in austin playing a a, corp, uh, a charity event and uh this guy uh matt pivato that produces jack ingram's podcast um saw me in catering he said hey i want to talk to you um i've been waiting to meet you for like a year but he said i saw something that you wrote on facebook about your son and i think you should do it and he said i i produce podcasts i want i think you should do a podcast on grief that's that's a nice idea i'm definitely not doing that doesn't sound like any fun at all and um we exchanged numbers and we talked about it a few times and i was kind of like oh that sounds like it's a lot of work and it sounds like a really emotional thing i'm just definitely not doing that and one morning my wife said you're doing this and um and i knew i was supposed to and so we have started doing it and it's actually been a really powerful thing um it's something that's missing because i think people that are really ingrained in church and whatever that may look like, maybe have somewhere to go with this. But this show is kind of for people that maybe are a little bit outside the traditional religious thing. They still believe in God. They believe their child is in heaven or whatever it is. But we talk about it raw, honestly. There's there's profanity in Jesus and whatever. And it's just a really honest um, conversation with somebody who's experienced grief. And uh, you know because you have experienced it. Um and I feel like everyone, if they live long, I mean, if you live long enough, you're going to experience loss and grief. And um, we just kind of started a conversation. First episodes came out two weeks ago, and it's just the response has been more than we thought it would. Uh, my friend Lisa over here is one of the producers on it, and it's, it's just been, uh, it's really emotional, and but it's been really powerful. Just a, It's just a conversation about loss and grief, and there's humor, and thus far there's a lot of music people in it, but um, it's not like we sit around and cry the whole time. Uh, it's funny, and we, it's, humor but it's actually things that you don't i don't know i never heard people talking about at least in the way that we're talking about it and um 
we'll see. It's this tomorrow a new episode will come out, but it's really early. But the the response has been a lot more than I have no social media presence and done anything, and somehow people are finding it and listening and calling and and wanting to be on it, and that's really cool. Blessing. Good grief. Goodgodshow.com, or you just search for it. We'll put it up in the notes too, Mike. Yep. So you guys can see it over there. This festival and concert season will be all about the boots, and Tacovas is your next stop before attending your next concert. Tacovas has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring. You're talking about men's boots, women's boots, um, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tacovas boots are made by hand in a time honored tradition, timeless style, always on trend. And Tacovas has first wear comfort, little to no break in period. Like, it's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Plus, direct consumer pricing keeps the value on your feet, the money in your pocket. So, stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink, shop the new styles. You like the smell of leather or no? I love it. Yeah. That's what the whole store basically is fresh leather, yep. friendly staff. Or, you like the smell of staff? <laughs> I don't know. I guess I'm sure they smell good there. Many stores have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. What a gift, too. Regular live music and events, there is no in-store experience like this. If you can't make it to a store, just visit tecovas.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S. Yeah. Yeah. Tecovas.com. Find your new favorite pair of boots today. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. How do the biggest names in outlaw country start a musical revolution? Through one woman's vision from one tiny living room. Don't miss Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in the new scripted Audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the Birth of Outlaw Country Music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Brewer shaped the sound and soul of country music as we know it today, despite never picking up an instrument herself. Lovingly dubbed as The Boar's Nest, Sue's place was an intimate staging ground where a new breed of singer-songwriters, wounded souls, wayward upstarts, that's where they would spur each other and tap into something bigger and something realer. Starring Mandy Moore and featuring Eben Moss Backrack as Shel Silverstein and T.J. Osborne as Johnny Cash alongside a full ensemble cast. Audible invites you to enter the boar's nest and experience the rise of a musical revolution. One woman, one time, one place. The boar's nest. Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Listen now at audible.com slash the boar's nest. We've already done an hour. I mean, I could do another hour easily. <laughs> so I have a couple more things to say, but before I have to go, my trainer is here. Okay, well, we can't give it. Well, you're, <laughs> we know we're addicted to working out yeah, now. Well, well, yeah, yeah, you yeah, should yeah. be. It's good. That's well, a good we, problem. Well, we do an hour, and, now, and usually, honestly, about 52 minutes in with everybody, I'm like, all right, let's move on. I could do another hour easily. With I know. <laughs> because I feel like we could have many rows. So how about this? In six months, let's just do it again. Absolutely. If you're back. Well, I, I, I don't ever I do that with anybody. I don't just like people that much. But six months... Let's do it again. If you're back in town, hundred percent, great. But uh, something that I, I still w- live here, by the way, I just go there. No, you have what I said. Yeah. If you're back in town, <laughs> we got no big time now, Mr. Florida over on the beach, beach house. Yeah, I got Mr. you, fancy guy. Oh, no. So when I first moved to town, and I was living in Austin, Texas, and I had kind of built my own little syndication deal in Texas, and I was on, you know, one, then two, then twenty-five pop stations, and I was bringing in. You know, pop artists, but also would have Dirks and Willie Nelson and Eli Young Band. And I was getting a lot of heat for being too country to be pop, which is ironic because now I get heat for being too, too pop to be country. country. Welcome to our music career. Yeah, welcome everybody. <laughs> yeah, can't please everybody. So my contract is up and they say, hey, what do you want to do? 
And they said, we're going to move me to New York or L.A. for Ryan or for Elvis Duran. And they both re-signed deals. And I was like, I don't know. I said, well, there's never been a nationally syndicated country morning show. And they said, okay. So we do this whole thing. And so I come here and meet with the company. And I'm still a little like, I don't know. But they're really trying to convince me. I knew I wanted to do it, but I had to leave everything that I'd built and spent my own money on. Like I built it all. And I was like, but if I, the minute I leave this, it's gone forever. I can't in a year go back and go, I'd like to have that back. I was just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I'd like I to have all kidding. that. Right, right. And so we come and I go, okay, boom. Well, I find out, they're like, hey, look, there are these two guys. Not, the head executive of our company was like, we, the one person was like, we don't want you here. We want the Warren Brothers to do the show. I didn't know if that information ever got to you, but we were going to bring that up today. Oh, yeah. So no, funny. I knew it immediately. Yeah, I mean, they <laughs> asked us to do it, and we did a couple Thursday nights on radio. Well, don't let you finish, because they didn't really ask Well, I'm us. sure there are two didn't... versions of the story, too. And I, and he told me straight up, he goes, I don't, he was the head in the format, but he wasn't that big national boss. And he was like, I don't think this is right for you. I've already got the Warren Brothers picked out to do this show in Nashville. And I'm like, who's the Warren Brothers? Oh, are those those Christian death metal guys? I'm a big fan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Christian death metal. It's life metal. And it's so, life metal. Uh, I was like, I, listen, I don't know what you really want me to say. And he goes, well, I just know it's going to be tough here. And that you're also not my first pick to do this. <laughs> I don't think I was his pick at all to do it, which is fine. And so... I was a little weirded out by that, but then again, the... Did you not like us already? I didn't know who you were. (laughs) Let me just say for the record, we would never have been even a smidgen as successful as you have had this. You you don't know. It might have been good in Nashville. Nationally, it would have been all inside humor. We have good self-awareness. Being a radio for four hours and talking takes a lot of work, and we were like... Anyway, yeah. (laughs) We can't do it. It's too hard. (laughs) It's five hours. Who's counting? Anyway. Exactly. uh, Exactly. Five uh, minutes is tough. I remember just going... Well, that's weird. Because I guess they're good. I, don't, I didn't know you were even a songwriter. I thought you were just two like comedy brothers at first. I had never done radio, by the way. And so I, I came here and I was like, yeah, I'll do it. Let's do it. And a couple times during it, because it didn't go well for me for a long for two years here. It was very really? difficult. Oh, it was brutal. It felt like it was immediately a huge hit, but I, it's, yeah. And you, it felt like you guys just wrote a bunch of hit songs out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, right, I know. Right, exactly. I know. Yeah. Right. And right. so what I remember is. Being told through the grapevine, like, hey, he's really looking to get the Warren Brothers in here if you go backward at all. And all I was doing was going backward the whole time because it was a— He was rattling a saber that didn't exist. (laughs) And I just always had this feeling like these two dudes are, like, plotting against me the whole time. I always felt it the whole time. (laughs) Well, then the show took off a little bit, and then I real—and that dude was relieved. And I brought in my guy who now runs Mm. the format, but I'm also his guy. Yeah. And then I then got later into it and understood that he— found you, finger quotes, found you for whatever job that was. If he did or not, I don't know. So that's why it was so important to him and he didn't, quote, find me. Right. Like you were his guy. So anyway, I hated, I hated you. That, all right, that's it that's for this week. So, <laughs> all right, next show. That's See you awesome. next month. I mean, I really love that because I never even knew if that information got to you. And we didn't really, we did a few weekend nights or weeknights we never really took it that seriously because I said, Brett, we're funny for about five minutes. There's four hours. <laughs> well, to we cover. would do an hour on Thursday this. night. And I'd be, I mean, like, we would prep a bunch of stuff. I say prep, like, maybe 30 minutes worth of stuff, and it would be gone in seven minutes. Oh, so no, we, we knew when we did a few nights, and we're like, no, we cannot. We are not equipped to do this. I'm not sure we can get up this early. And no, by the way, was, we already kind of had a job that was working. Like, mm-hmm. it was going well. He was like, oh, you can do it at the same time. We're like, nah. I remember he asked us, he goes, well, how much money do you want? We had never done it. We asked for like a half a million dollars a piece and like eight weeks paid vacation. (laughs) I mean, we were not on the list. 
at all to come in what, and do no, it. What you funny. have done with this, we would never, I mean, I'm, I'm not being humble. I'm telling you, we would have never done even a fraction of it because the, our humor is kind of Nashville based. So it would have been funny here. Like Always. Jerry House was, was our hero. And we had never done radio. We had realized that the bits that you do have to lengthen out and the funny little quips only last for a second. Oh, no. They, whoever didn't hire us made the best move. Ever for everyone. I mean, ever. I never they even knew scored. If that information got to you. I think that's hysterical. Oh, I knew immediately. Yeah, I knew immediately. That's why I held some of your songs hostage, and they weren't number ones for a couple. Of years. <laughs> yeah. If they were yeah, holding they were us like, over your okay. head, yeah, that is, we're fine with it. Uh, but that being said, I've, I mean, I haven't really thought about that in years. That, and I've just so been a big fun. fans of you, a big oh, fan thanks, of you guys, man. mostly because people I'm a fan of and know and like personally have an affinity for have an affinity for you guys because oh, we hadn't spent time together but that's how you know if a show <laughs> if like somebody with sensibilities like yours loves a certain show and is like this is it you, you, it's good nine yeah, of the time it. yeah so some of my dearest friends Lee love- Miller um, just several of our friends like you don't know Bobby Bones you guys Lee would be Miller their best friends goes, wait a second you don't know you've never I said I don't think we've ever maybe said hi in passing with Tim but we've never really talked I had no <laughs> idea it's because we definitely almost didn't get this show <laughs> The fact that they were dangling us over your head is the funniest thing like, I've ever heard in my life. That's that was so a rotten funny. carrot to dangle. Like, over a couple years. It. Like, it was on and on. But I do. I just. <laughs> are you going to have to bleep out Michael Bryan's name when I say it? No, no, no. <laughs> Michael Bryan and I are still friends. That's so great. We love him because he actually had faith that we, I'm like, you really think we can do this? We can't but it do Can you imagine how but fast we've been Michael Bryan canceled. wasn't the dangler, though. He wasn't. Well, really? He was the dangler. I can, I can tell you off the air. Okay. Oh, wow. I can tell you off the air. Because we never talked to anyone else but <laughs> yeah, I love that he had the confidence. I'm like, I think you're crazy that you think we can do this. I think we could be funny on someone else's show, but I'm not sure this is a... We can be funny for two minutes between songs on stage. Five hours and doing a show, it takes a whole I mean, When I listen to stools. your travel, when you say, oh, I'm going every weekend, oh, I'm going here and doing that, I'm like, okay, you got up at three o'clock in the morning, five days straight, and you're going to fly out of town as soon as you get off work and come back the next day. I think I'm too old for that. I'm it, serious. I, I, I am. Yeah. I, mean, I have been for a long time. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I've always... Yes, it sucks. But it's lovely. And I wouldn't get to meet guys like you if it weren't for it. What time do you go to bed at night? I just, there's not an answer. It's not an answer. I mean, if I'm on the road or shooting a TV show or mm-hmm. we're living in a foreign country, which we had to do for a month <laughs> and a half while doing the radio, it's, it's tough. But my final point is I have you know, a lot of people that I'm close to and value friendships with and have, again, just a massive affinity for, and they have the same thing towards you. So I've always like cool. felt extremely pure about you guys and have big fans of who you are without meeting you. And obviously a big fan of your work. So. Same. Well, thank thanks. you for having yeah. us. Yeah. Uh, this is really cool. Totally same. And thanks for having us. And, and six months. Six months I'm in. Because I, I, so, I got so much more. And even yeah, though got a lot more. Even though we were the rotten carrot that got dangled, you still had us on. It I only did. took you 10 years. It did. Years. It took you 10 he years to, to forgive us. He was so big that he could smash us <laughs> like that with his finger. <laughs> now I'll have a look. Wait, and we'll crush them. God, we should have talked the first week. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we could have made your life so much easier. You'd have called us. Is this true? You, you guys nobody. check out uh, Good Grief, Good God Show and go to at the Warren Brothers, and we'll see you guys soon. All right, All right buddy. Thanks, All right, Bobby. Thanks, Bobby. Appreciate you. This festival and concert season will be all about the boots, and Tacova's is your stop before attending your next concert. All Tacova's boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tacova's has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink, shop new styles. If you can't make it to a store, just visit Tacova's.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. You can probably spell it. You probably know it. Tacovas.com. Find your new favorite pair of boots today. 
This is the year to stop overpaying for your family plan. So choose a straight talk wireless family plan. Unlimited data, talk, and text on a reliable 5G network. And you can get a new line starting at $25 per line per month for four lines, plus taxes and fees and no contracts. That's good decision making. Available at Walmart and on straighttalk.com. Family plan discount with four lines, all on the silver unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. In times of traffic, your data may be temporarily slower than other traffic. Video streams at up to 480p. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.